Welcome to Utilizing Tech, the podcast about emerging technology from Gestalt IT. This season of Utilizing Tech focuses on edge computing, which demands a new approach to compute, storage, networking, and more. I'm your host, Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. Joining me today as my co-host is the fine Mr. Alistair Cook. Thanks for joining me today, Al. Thanks for inviting me, Steve. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you. And it seems like we're going to be doing a bit of a back to the future, finding that everything old is new again today. I think that's true. Um, those of us who've grown up in IT and uh, been here for a while are familiar with the, uh, the proverb of the station wagon loaded with backup tapes or the sneaker net or uh, the challenges of moving data, wouldn't you say? Yes, I think we've all gotten sort of a different experience over time, but it's fundamentally, it's always been that moving data is a problem. And uh, it, as we solve the problem of moving a certain amount of data, then the amount of data that needs to be moved increases. And we've definitely seen over the last few years, the expectation of the speed at which you can move things and you can respond uh, has, has really increased. And so we're seeing some real, real challenges uh, around moving around li large amounts of data and enabling business agility through that. And one area that there is a lot of data, of course, is media and entertainment. So we know that uh, video production um, is increasingly, uh, well, increasingly, probably predominantly digital this time. Um, and of course, we know how big these video files can be, whether it's uh, the Utilizing Tech podcast series or uh, uh, watching um, videos on uh, Netflix or or the, the videos we're producing on our phones. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of data there. And a lot of that stuff is recorded on location um, all around the world. That's what we're gonna be focusing on today. So um, one of the things that uh, we haven't really discussed yet on utilizing tech is the world of media and entertainment. And that's our focus for today. So we have invited uh, Jimmy Fusel, uh, m, m &E expert and um, business development manager for uh, T-Second uh, to join us. Uh, Jimmy, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. Hi, Alistair. It's great to be here and uh, thank you for having me. Look forward to talking about all these problems that we have in the media entertainment industry. Yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's a cool industry. Yeah, no, I've been working in this industry for 20 years and uh, yeah, data has, you know, through that transition, like you were talking about to digital, and uh, as usual, you know, uh, as you said, um, you solve a problem and then that problem grows and you have to solve it again. So uh, that's why I'm working at T-Second. I think it's, uh, it's the, what they have is a, is a potential solution to not just now, but the future of, of moving that data around for, for the media entertainment industry. Yeah, it, it is an amazing industry. I, I've been to NAB show, for example, and seen the um, amazing sort of parallel world, parallel universe of technology that they have. Like Alistair said, uh, what's old is new again. Um, there are all sorts of specialized devices and specialized approaches for this. But uh, Jimmy, why don't you start by just talking a little bit, like what does a modern production look like uh, in the field? Well, uh, at the core of it is is a camera, right? And, and a microphone or several cameras and several microphones. Um, and those cameras on a typical movie or TV set in the US create three to five terabytes of data every day. And you've had this cluster, this crew, right? These, these people who have come together for let's say six months to, to make this TV show and they all bring their own preferred gear, their own preferred device. And they all 
try to share this data amongst them and then have to move this data to various processes, you know, from transferring what the camera filmed into a smaller file that the editor can then edit and then giving that same file that the camera shot and giving it to a visual effects or several visual effects uh, companies to uh, add some magic to it. And then finalizing the picture and the image and then moving all that to be localized so that it can be distributed around the world in every language. Uh, it's a lot of data and it's big data, uh, very high resolution, very high quality. Uh, and uh, it takes a lot of work uh, just getting things where they need to be. Uh, that's that's the biggest thing. And, and you know, uh, the surprise is, you know, while networking has brought great um, convenience to a lot of this. We're still, you know, using, uh, I don't know if anybody else uses this term. I'm in my little Hollywood corner over here, but sneaker net, is that, is that still, you know, that's still a thing for, for the media and entertainment industry. I'm interested in how much of that is, is transferring from the site of recording and how much is transferring between different devices that are at the location where the recordings made, because uh, there's a whole different set of challenges around that, that speed of movement. Uh, is this about moving between the different favored devices at that edge location where the, the video is being produced, or is it about moving between the different contributors or both of these things? So there is data moving amongst devices on the set. So a compressed video uh, is moving from the camera to, um, to a monitor that the director can watch and the producers can watch. Um, that's being recorded in the playback system so that if the director wants to see something they shot two hours ago, they can pull it up. Uh, but that's a different set of data than the data that's being recorded into the camera that will be used for post-production. There's all this metadata that's flying, and actually it can be a challenge on movie sets to have the amount of bandwidth and, the, and to manage also the, the interference of all these different networks that are where with all these different devices communicating. Um, and then if you get into more advanced production technologies, uh, such as virtual production, where you're playing back video uh, onto a super large LED system uh, to act as a fake background, let's say, now you've got a bunch of networked devices that are playing back and managing the LED system. And um, also enabling correction to those images that are being projected. So you can have actually a whole uh, set of networks on site of various devices communicating or interfering with each other uh, on the set. Uh, but that's one challenge. And usually that is smaller data. The bigger challenge uh, as far as big data, right, is getting this, this video that's coming out of uh, the cameras and getting it to its next phase, which is um, QA syncing with uh, audio and creating files that the editor can then use to start editing the, the movie or the, or the episode. So both things. You know, some might say, is this really edge? But I think that it absolutely is. It definitely meets my definition because um, it is bandwidth constrained. It is... Um, uh, availability constrained, meaning that you sometimes can have outages. It is also the province of people who are not IT people, um, which is another similarity with um, retail or industrial. You know, in other words, these are people who are trying to get their job done and, and they're not all that interested 
in why isn't the network working or how do I, you know, optimize this? They just want their camera to work. And, um, you know, so I think that it definitely is. And I think that this gives us a, a whole, like opens a window into a different world, but one that other areas can learn from. Because if, if we think about it, um, the, this kind of data is present in other areas as well. I mean, I don't want to get off topic, but I could see similar discussions um, in uh, oil exploration. I could see similar discussions in industrial IoT and in manufacturing in autonomous vehicles, basically anywhere that you've got um, sort of sensors out there in the real world, whether they're cameras or, or LIDAR, um, collecting lots of data that then needs to be moved around and coalesced. But let's focus on the on the M&E space. So, um, you know, there's there's moving data from uh, the onsite of production back to the studio. But as you as you talked about, there's also moving it to New Zealand so that, uh, you know, Weta can look at it. Right. And uh, Alistair um, and, and all these other production houses. I don't know if you've watched a movie recently, but the, the, in the ending credits, uh, there's more than two units now. And there's a heck of a lot of uh, production studios involved in these movies. Right. That's true. I mean, it's uh, movies have always been a collaborative process, right? Where many people come together to make a movie or, or a TV show. Um, and now that that collaboration is global uh, across time zones and across data centers and um, moving, um, you know, sometimes it's only 300 gigabytes of data to uh, a a production house or a VFX house in in New Zealand, uh, and sometimes it's you know terabytes of of data that's been captured uh, because a volumetric capture of of a set, for example, where uh, that needs to be reproduced and digitized. Um, so yeah, it has to be in many places. And like you said, you look at at the credits, and it's not usually one or two uh, companies working on these movies. It's tens to dozens, you know. So it's. Uh, um, it's, it's a lot of, uh, shuttling data around and that's really happened over the last 20 years of digitization. First, you know, files started to matter because we were digital now instead of filming on, on actual film. Um, and then the, the practices became, uh, more complex. So a lot more files were created, different types of files. And then the files got bigger because the cameras now film at 8k, 6k, um, and have greater bit depth. So the files themselves become bigger and now they have to be all over the place and they have to be, um, reliably mimicked in all these different places because the production itself, the set will travel. Uh, the post-production team will travel and the VFX are happening in all these different, uh, localities, whether it's Europe or India or New Zealand or Canada. So, uh, it's, it's a big data movement and data custody problem. I think that was one of the interesting challenges for this as an edge to me is that the location where you're actually operating is transient, that the on-site production I mean, here in, in New Zealand, uh, there is a famous tour of going to all of the places where they shot video for the various Lord of the Rings and Hobbit films in New Zealand. And they're all over the place. And Jimmy, I've got to expect that the production crews are expecting the same service no matter where they go now, that just because you're in, in the back of beyond on the top of some beautiful hill, you can't say, well, there's going to be a three-day delay before you can see any of the results of what we've done today. 
Exactly. Sometimes that processing has to happen on site. You have to drag along a miniature data center to take those files out of the camera and take that audio and do what you need to do so that it can be watched in what we call dailies or rushes um, the next day. You know, everybody used to sit in a theater and look at it together. Now everybody's looking at their laptop and uh, usually looking at it from a cloud served service, right? So you're processing locally, uploading the results, and then watching it back locally um, uh, via cloud service of some sort. And yes, um, network connectivity remains super important. And yes, sometimes it's not enough to move the data to where it needs to be processed. It needs to be processed on site. And that to me is also fitting the definition of, of edge. Um, for sure. And then we can look at, you know, what I actually think are these kind of mobile edge processing devices, which are, um, uh, you know, broadcast trucks, right? Where you're going to an event, filming it, collecting all this data, and you're already starting to process it because you're already starting to edit it. The director's already picking their favorite angles and they're already, um, doing some color adjustments and, and such. Uh, and then, you know, that that broadcast truck packs up and then moves to another event and moves to another place. I think of those as also, you know, really edge processing kind of systems as well. And there's another aspect that you keep keep hitting on is that the actual data files, the original files shot by camera are way too large to do any of the, the real-time fast processing on. So there is a sort of effectively sampling of that data to get a lower resolution, lower color depth uh, version of the film that's used for these dailies for, for making, uh, even being sent to the editors. And I think there's an interesting analog to when we're generating large amounts of, of sensor data, we may need to very rapidly summarize that data in order to be able to make real-time decisions. And that's essentially what's going on. We're getting a summary of the video data being put in front of humans who are making fast decisions. And that's definitely a pattern we see in a lot of the uh, edge deployments, and it seems to have been built into the cameras to actually do this, as, as I understand, not something that's done after the capture of the video. That's true. Uh, certain cameras can create a proxy file and upload it right away. And that's, you know, there's this vision of camera to cloud uh, and and it works. You know, you can see that file almost instantaneously once uh, somebody says cut. And if there's plenty of bandwidth, you you'll see that file somewhere else in the world. Um, but the actual high definition, you know, high resolution, full color depth file, uh, getting that up, uh, and into the cloud and processed, um, that's, that's still something that's being worked on. And certainly there are productions that are doing that with a lot of resources, but it's, it's still, uh, in its infancy for sure. And I believe that you have a solution for that too. So I, I think well, we, it would be fair to, to say, how do you do that? Well, yeah, thank you. I, I love talking about the problem. So that's, <laughs> thank you for reminding me to start talking about maybe some of the ways we can solve it. Um, that's that's uh, really what's interesting about the work being done at T-Second with this, uh, this brick device, which is uh, really a, a way to get massive amounts of data from the collection point uh, into the cloud or to process it locally uh, because it, it really is capable of both. Um, so I'll describe it a little bit. It's, it's, it's a brick, right? It's, it's nine and a half by four by four uh, inches. 
And uh, it's, uh, it's a device that's uh, basically an NVMe storage device um, that can hold up to a petabyte in certain configurations, like in that, in that block, right? Um, and uh, it connects to uh, a server via this, uh, this tray with the uh, proprietary connectors. Uh, and uh, the tray right now is rack mounted. And um, you can get 40 gigabytes uh, per second on and off of it, 40 gigabytes. Uh, I always have to remind myself to say bytes and not bits. And um, so I like to think of it as both ways. You know, we're, we talked a little bit about SneakerNet earlier. Um, in some ways, it's a way to SneakerNet a whole bunch of data very quickly because it can ingest data very quickly through that connection. And then it can move very securely because it's very rugged. Um, it's uh, uh, there's proprietary uh, process of, of bonding all these uh, drives together so that you can drop it and you can leave it in water for a few months. You can take it back out. It still works. Um, and um, so very rugged uh, form factor. And you can travel with that uh, securely because it's very tamper proof. And so you can move this high, high value data uh, in that way uh, very quickly because sometimes it is still faster to to walk or drive or fly with it than it is to, to put it through the network. But the other thing that's really interesting about it is that you can, uh, with that kind of performance uh, on and off the drive in that portable factor, you can really build a mini, it's almost like a mini data center. Um, you add some compute to it. Uh, you add some workstations around it. People can, you know, like I said, collaboration is key in, in, in making a movie or, or a TV show. So you, you can, point a whole bunch of people to that data and they can work in this highly collaborative way uh, locally, right? And in that way, I, I think of it like, you know, we talked about like as an edge device in, in many ways, because it enables you to do that high processing work locally uh, before you take the data somewhere else. So from a technical perspective, essentially it's a, like a giant thumb drive, um, except much, much, much better um, in every way. Um, but, you know, but I think in terms of, of sort of conceptually understanding it, I imagine that um, audio, uh, video production engineers and so on, they look at it probably like the removable media that cameras use. And I, I don't know if people are aware, but yeah, a lot of cameras have um, adopted or the, the same sort of uh, removable media that your own camera might use, except they use different formats. Some of them use SSDs. Um, you know, like regular SATA SSD. Um, some of them use uh, much more advanced stuff, but at least they conceptually can understand this brick right here is like a piece of media that my camera can write to and I can use it that way. Is that how they approach it or is it approached as sort of a different animal entirely than removable media? Uh, it's approached in some ways in that way. Like we did, we did a, a, a proof of concept with... Um with a camera manufacturer where uh, we pointed 20 cameras, uh, sorry, 10 cameras. We could have done 20, but we only could get 10 and recorded simultaneously like it was a common, you know, SSD for all these cameras. And they were filming at 8K and 60 frames per second. So you can imagine the, the amount of data coming off of each of these cameras. So that's a way of thinking it that is analogous to what you're, you're talking about, Stephen, which is let's look at it as uh, portable storage. Right, uh, but there's, you know, there's there's companies that are very very impressed by the performance in that small package. The fact that you can get forty gigabytes a second off of 
off of this brick through this tray and the whole system really enables them to parallelize a lot of processes that in the past, when you pull that card out of the camera and then you put it into the card reader, the card reader connects via USB or if you're lucky, Thunderbolt, and you get those files off of there and onto another piece of storage that then has to, you know, from which you do all the other processing you need to do. Um, so there's opportunities both in capturing directly to the brick, and there's opportunities also in processing directly from the brick and taking all these steps out, which, um, you know, it's copying data. So in some ways it's very simple and other ways it can be very scary because this is where things go wrong. This is where, you know, the drive gets misplaced or the truck rolls over it or, you know, more than anything, um, you know, there's corruption or because you're, you're not in a great environment for computing. You're, um, you're going into a place that's either too hot or too dusty or all those things. And, uh, and so minimizing those errors is actually, and minimizing also the time between the camera, you know, stopping record and getting access to those files is, is a big thing for, uh, is a big thing for productions these days, for sure. And I'm sure there's a security angle on there as well, because if you're making the, the latest uh, Marvel blockbuster, there's a lot of fans who would be very keen to see some of that content long before the studios are ready for it to be released. Is there, um, you, you talked about the, the robustness and the tamper-proof nature. Are there also security capabilities built into the uh, the product? Well, there's definitely some, um, some integrity um, data integrity uh, software um, that really looks for a bit flip and corrects it constantly. Um, so that data integrity piece, but I think from a data security perspective um, is a bit more what you're talking about is um, just that the fact that it's a proprietary connector that you need this tray to connect to, you can really uh, it makes it very difficult for people to access this data. Um, you you have to figure out, you know, you would have to own a tray basically uh, and a server, and therefore you would have to be, in some ways, a customer of of T-Second to to be able to access this data. So I think that's, um, you know, you can't pull it apart either, just physically. Like you pull it apart, you destroy it, right? Um, so um, that that makes it very secure. Um, and you know, I will say that. Like like you you point to Alistair, like the 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 industry is is very 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 sensitive to data security uh, because a leak means that uh, the surprise is gone. Uh, the a leak means that the the creative privacy of that director and the actors working together to make something is is violated. Um, so it's, it's taken a while for um, this industry to even warm up to the cloud. You know, uh, we've been banking there much longer than we've been making movies there. And um, there's still, uh, I think, this remaining feeling of safety and security and having uh, something that's physically hardened as well, um, which is very familiar to, uh, to this industry. So we're used to the idea of, of server huggers from the virtualization days, and, and now we have 
I, I guess it would originally have been tape huggers, but uh, the movement away from tape and towards um, much more non-linear media has, has made a big difference. But yeah, holding on to the, the physical media seems to still be a big, big cultural piece there. Yeah, with uh, since you bring up tape, I think tape is an interesting uh, a medium because it is uh, still a very dominant uh, format. Um, and I'm not talking about videotape. I'm also talking about LTO, you know, archival tape. Uh, it's a big part of how uh, the M&E industry in the production phases, um, the M&E industry in the production phases leverages tape to archive, uh, but also to create backups. Uh, there's a real desire to have multiple copies of the footage as soon as possible um, so that if uh, something happens in one location, one copy of the footage, there's, uh, there's a backup somewhere, there's, there's a data integrity somewhere. Um, and uh, this industry has gotten very good at writing tape very quickly, but then accessing that data becomes a very big problem. And, and so I think in some ways uh, we're getting to the density of tape and even higher density, but we're also, you know, with the brick, with T-Seconds brick, we're getting to a point also where you have that density and that security, but you also have that performance, which has been missing from, from tape in some ways. And it's, it's maybe because... M&E is so reliant on physical media, like you, like you said, but that is, uh, that's a level of, of security that, that I think the, the industry is attached to. And of course, the uh, multiple copies is a learnt lesson from, I think it was one of the Toy Story movies where an administrative error and the data center destroyed the only recording. And uh, the only way the video, the movie actually got produced was that somebody was on maternity leave and had it back up on their own or a copy on their own workstation. So yeah, it's definitely a, a learnt lesson that could have been a very expensive uh, mistake. Um, I, I think the different media to solve different problems, so using things like tape as, as long-term archive where the cost of retention, the cost of storage is the most important thing versus um, the speed of access. I think there's, there's probably also a piece around the retrievability of the individual parts. I've heard some discussions around making new video, you'll often uh, use segments out of a previous video that may have been, may have been produced 10 years ago and the retrievability of the individual segments is really important. And I think that's where nonlinear media like the, um, the brick becomes much more usable than, than tape media. Yeah, it is, it is hard to exercise those archives. It is hard to exercise a, a tape archive sometimes because you are looking for, you can't really scrub through it, right? You, uh, you have to restore a whole bunch of things and then hopefully you're very organized. Um, but I also, you know, I also think that tape has its place in, in the sense, but using it as a uh, transfer medium, I think, which is what we've sometimes seen in, in this industry around post-production, uh, just because of its ruggedness and its security, um, that, that really, uh, to, to me, is, is, is something that it's not always super well adapted to. Yeah, I imagine too that some of these folks, uh, you know, your tape huggers, uh, might be really wanting to have a copy on tape as well as on the brick. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And I imagine if it's attached to a server, I, I imagine that's possible, right? I mean, you can basically uh, coalesce everything on the brick and then dump it to tape before you uh, give it to the production assistant to fly across the ocean with, right? Yeah, I think you know. Actually, that's that brings up uh, another proof of concept we did with a post-production company 
uh, and we'll have a white paper coming out uh, on that uh, in the coming month, um, where you know the the process there is they receive the the cards or the sorry the footage from the camera and they copy it to their system, and uh, that starts a chain of of processes which includes syncing audio, uh, adjusting color, framing, and creating the dailies, but also archiving, and in the past, um, because of the limitations of the performance of, of their storage, um, they had to work through these things linearly. So you copy, you ingest the data, you validate it, do a, you know, a hash check on it, and then you move it to syncing, and then you color it, and then you create the deliverables, and then you start the archive. Well, in this case with the brick, when they put it in, they realize, oh, we can start archiving right away. Once we do the validation, we start archiving, and there is, uh, it's first, it's nice to be done archiving earlier, but also there is this feeling that, okay, now we already are starting to make the backup copies. So if something disastrous happens, we know we've already started that process, right? And that, um, that I think is, is uh, goes to, to, to the point that this performance on this storage is also very necessary because you need to do a whole bunch of things all at once um, with this data right away. Yeah, and, and also, you know, we talked about uh, uh, sneaker net. Uh, another um, colorful IT term is shoe shining. Um, that uh, you have to keep tapes streaming if you want to get the performance, because tapes actually do have quite a lot of bandwidth, but only in when they're uh, when you're really pouring the data in there and when they can get the data and they don't have to stop and start and reset. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that having um, you know a nice high performance um, source for that data is important as well to make sure that you can actually make use of, uh, tape media. So, I mean, the whole thing, the whole production process sounds, uh, it, it's really, it's really amazing. It's really interesting to learn about how these things happen. Um, I guess, um, kind of in conclusion, in summary, um, you know, Jimmy, what's your, what's your message to, to the edge about this technology, whether they're in the media and entertainment space or not? Well, I, I think, you know, the most precious moment in media and entertainment is that collection moment, right? You need to collect that data and then you need to hold on to it and get it to the places where it needs to go as quickly as possible. And um, to me, that's kind of true of what that's kind of the, what the paradigm of edge is telling us is like really important things are happening right there. Right. And they need those, those processes need to be serviced. And then that data becomes incredibly precious. And so I think the message is like, you know, find a way to get it as quickly as possible. Um, find a way to make it safe and then find a way to get it out of there and to the place that it needs to be. And I, I feel like, you know, sometimes that's going to be a network, uh, but sometimes it might not be because that location might be a... Uh, a, a jungle or it might be a desert or it might be a poorly serviced warehouse somewhere downtown and you just need to uh, get that data where it needs to go and make sure it gets there safely so maybe let's think it's almost like network is now the box and i think there's you know no there's other there's other ways maybe let's maybe it's time to think about sneaker net sometimes again <laughs> if it makes sense Jimmy, I think I've learned something really significant from you, and that's is that my expectation that edge locations are about refining data and getting the most value out of the data by by making it less doesn't actually match every use case. 
Uh, here, clearly, the, the high resolution, finest granularity, biggest volume data is, is the most valuable thing that you're producing. The summarization and the, the smaller units of data, the rushes, dailies, the, the, the uh, lower resolution versions being sent to editors, those are all less valuable than the full volume data. So again, it just shows the, the variety of challenges that organizations face with different use cases out at the edge. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I think we're seeing a, we're seeing a, a, that, that the collection of data and the maintaining that high quality data is becoming important in new ways as well in, in the entertainment industry. Listen, we're, there's, a, uh, there's now even more interest than there's ever been before in uh, 360 video and 180 video and, and immersive, what we can put under an umbrella of, let's say, immersive video, right? And a lot of that is captured from multiple cameras or giant cameras that have even more resolution. And um, you're right that sometimes you want to refine that data right away. But really, in, in the media and entertainment industry, in the production mindset, you're trying to collect as many options for yourself as possible that you may utilize later. You want that flexibility. And so you don't want to let go of anything. You might process things so that you can look at it, so you can make decisions around whether it was a good take or whether that is the right costume or whether that was a great performance. But you want to hold on to all of it because it has value in ways that you may not realize yet. And that is, I think, uh, um, maybe, I think that I'm kind of echoing what you're saying. Um, so um, I think the data is about getting processed locally, but it's also about sometimes preserving all of it and all of its potential value that we may not realize it has yet. Yeah, I think this has been really interesting because, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a unique, you know, ME is a unique environment. It's a unique uh, edge environment, but it's also similar to others. And I think it's important for people to understand that there is uh, technology that can be applied from one uh, area to another. Um, and I, that's, uh, sounds to me like what this is, is it's, uh, applying, um, some pretty cool, uh, enterprise technology to a very, uh, you know, some remote jungle somewhere, and maybe this makes sense for other applications as well. So I urge our listeners to check out T-Second, um, Jimmy, uh, where can they do that? Where can they continue this conversation with you? Well, um, they can find us at tsecond.us. That's T-S-E-C-O-N-D. Um, dot us, uh, and they'll probably be seeing uh, a white paper come out in the coming month uh, around some of our work with the M and E industry, uh, some application of of brick uh, there. And you know, on the website, you'll also see, like you said, that there's plenty of other applications for for this device that is already you know uh, being used in many other uh, domains. So uh, if you're curious about it, um, that's the best place to go. Alistair, uh, what have you been up to in the last uh, few weeks? Well, I continue to uh, slave away at my, my day job, but uh, also organizing the uh, V Brown Bank uh, Tech Talks at VMworld Explore. And I will be seeing you there, Stephen, in about, is it three weeks? It's getting awfully close. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to think that it's uh, getting that close. Yes, I'll see you at VMware Explore. Um, I'm also going to be at uh, Flash Memory Summit uh, this week and uh, at a number of other events, including uh, Edge Field Day, which is coming up. If you're interested in learning more about that, go to techfieldday.com. 
So as mentioned, uh, you can find me on social media at sfoskett. Uh, I'm here every uh, Monday with Utilizing Edge, part of the Utilizing Tech podcast series. You'll also see me on Tuesday in the On-Premise IT podcast and on Wednesday in the Gestalt IT News Rundown. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do subscribe. Uh, you'll find us in your favorite podcast applications or on YouTube. Uh, please do give us a rating. Please give us a comment. We would love to hear from you. This podcast was brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to our special dedicated website, utilizingtech.com, or find us on Twitter and Mastodon at utilizingtech. Thanks for joining, and uh, we'll see you next week.